welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Um, everyone can hear me okay, I hope. Um, this is the first time I've worn a mic like this, and I have to say, when I put it on, it was like, it brought me back to being like seven years old, and I used to use like a bendy straw to pretend to be Britney Spears, so um, like, I couldn't not stand up here and not make that little reference, because it's, so, it's like so strong in my mind, but um, anyway, well, good morning everyone. Um, my name, for those of you who don't know me, is Naomi, and I have recently come on to the leadership team here at Redeemer, which... It's really exciting, really looking forward to seeing what God has got in store for us in the next few months, next while as a community. So yeah, and it's really nice to be joining you this morning from the front. I'm normally at the Tots area at the back with my son George and my husband Scott, who's holding the, the fort there today. And we're normally just trying to like not make too much noise. That's usually the goal on a Sunday morning. So it's nice to see faces and not the backs of heads, which you usually have on a Sunday. Um, well, I've been a part of this community now for almost two years, and um, in that time it's been really amazing to see what God is doing, not only in and through this community, but also in me. Like, my time here in this church so far has been a fairly significant one for me in my faith journey, and I'll be sharing a little bit about that with you this morning. Um, so as Dave mentioned, I'm speaking today as part of our Community Voices series, so you'll be hearing from me this week and Curtis next week, which is lovely. But um, with that in mind, it's worth letting you know that this is my first time ever doing a church talk and public speaking is like absolutely not my thing. Like anyone who knows me like knows the fear that I have right now. Um, all kinds of anxiety, but um, hopefully we'll be fine. Um, well, I was tasked this morning, as Dave also mentioned, um, with sharing about grace in my story today. And when I heard that that was the topic, I kind of didn't really know where to begin. Like, how big is God's grace, you know? Um, there's never been a day in my life when I haven't had it. There's never been a day I haven't needed it or lived in the benefits of it. And yet there are many days, most in fact, when I probably don't really think that much about it at all. And I, I don't know about you, but I also find grace quite hard to define. You know, we talk about God's love, his forgiveness, his mercy. Those sort of seem easier to grasp, you know. They're, um, they're characteristics we often see in people, and we can relate them more to our human relationships. But grace can be quite hard to get our head around. Jen Wilkin, in her book, In His Image, says, The grace of God is his unmerited favor. But to define it merely as such is to miss the extravagant nature of that favor. She goes on, initially, grace is unasked for and undesired. God in his sovereignty extends grace to us before we can even contemplate its possibility or worth. Eternally, grace is unearned and undeserved. What a beautiful description, undeserved favor unasked for and fully unconditional favor expressed through love. And we are always experiencing this all the time. But do you ever find that it's really easy to sort of forget the goodness of God in your life? 
We tend to focus on the bad times and it can be hard to remember the good things that God has done and the signs of goodness that we've seen along the way. But when I think back over my life, there's been countless ways that I've been in the receiving end of that undeserved favor. Now, to give you a fairly lighthearted example, there's been times, plenty of times in our marriage so far when Scott and I haven't really had a lot of money or been a bit tight in that department. And um, I remember on our first wedding anniversary, we spent it at a car boot sale in Southampton selling the entire contents of our flat. And I mean like the entire contents so that we could afford to book flights to go on a working holiday. It was all very self-indulgent, but... Um, and I remember one of the low points for me, I think, was we had an old iron that we'd had as students, and I sold it to somebody for one pound. We had like a plastic bag full of like five other irons, <laughs> which was kind of weird, but that was sort of Southampton. Um, or another time, I bought Scott a secondhand guitar for his birthday in April, and then we had to sell it again by that Christmas to pay our electricity bills. <laughs> um, but during those days, you know, where things were a bit tight, there were so many times when unexpectedly we'd get a grocery delivery gifted from a friend or we'd just sort of find the support that we needed it right when we needed it most. And it's that kind of favor you sort of feel like you didn't earn and you don't deserve and you're kind of really, really humble by it. And that's just a little small example of kind of God by his grace working three people when we kind of needed it. But um, it's sort of like a light and quite practical example. But we all know that God's grace goes much deeper than that. So I want to share some of those sort of bigger or more spiritual encounters with that undeserved favor, if that's okay. So what's really humbling is that there's probably been loads of times in my life when God has been doing a work of grace and I haven't even been aware of it in me. Um, But when I was preparing for today, there were a few events that came to mind. So I thought I would share those with you. So let me start by telling you a bit about my story, maybe, because I'm aware, like, not everyone here will know me that well. Um, I grew up in Dungannon in the 90s, when it was normal to go to church. I'm getting a whoop from Sarah. (laughs) And it was very normal to go to the church church on a Sunday when you grew up in Dungannon in the 90s. Most people did it. Um, And I was surrounded, really fortunately, by lots of Christians in my social circles or in school. And maybe some of you can relate to this, but faith for me then didn't always look like grace. It looked like reading my Bible, always doing the right thing, learning my catechism, honoring my father and mother, and depending on which church youth event I was at the time, sometimes wearing a skirt and hat whilst doing so. (laughs) Um, But I grew to have a strong belief in Jesus from a young age. I prayed the prayer. And I guess over the years, I kind of grew in some understanding of like what it was all about, and I got to know the Bible more, and I grew closer to God. But then when I was about 15 years old, a child still really, um, there was a shift. And one night, I was praying before I went to sleep, like I always did, and absolutely out of nowhere, this really heavy and really sudden sense came upon me that I wasn't good enough. And it was like a voice suddenly told me, like, I was sinful, I was wrong, I was disgusting. And it's really hard to explain, but it was so deep and so intense that it felt like it literally knocked the wind out of me. It seemed to go right to my very, very core. And that actually started what ended up being like a year and a half of me hearing this repetitive voice in my head over and over again, 
saying that I wasn't good enough. And it repeated over and over and over. And naturally, it led to me having like a few issues with my mental health and my well-being. And for a year and a half, I couldn't sleep well or I couldn't concentrate in school. I often had nightmares about going to church or a scripture union, which if you're not familiar is like Christian club in school. So I sort of stopped going to those completely. I completely withdrew, I withdrew from friends. And eventually some friends started asking, you know, what's going on and people started to notice. But how do you explain that when you're a teenager? Like how do you explain to your friends that, you know, you have this feeling that you're not good enough when you're surrounded by very good Christian friends? Now, there's a lot more I could say about that period of my life, and I don't want to dwell on it for too long. But what's important about it is that now I can see that grace was missing from my narrative then. You see, I'd already encountered God. I was already living under that undeserved favor. I just didn't know it or understand it. No one had ever really told me about God's lavish, unasked-for grace before. For me, grace was something I thought that I had to work for to achieve, or it was something that I thought that other people had, but I didn't. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But then one day, I eventually worked up the courage to go back to my scripture union, and I don't remember if I saw it written down somewhere or if the words were spoken over me, but I remember coming across the phrase, nothing you do can make him love you more and nothing you do can make him love you less. There, there was something that the Holy Spirit did in me that sent those words like right to the core of my soul, right to the depths of my heart where nothing but pain, anxiety, and anguish had dwelt for over 18 months. And I knew then that nothing I did or nothing about who I was could make God love me less. He loved me unconditionally. His love for me wasn't something I'd earned, and it wasn't something that I could have taken away. And it wasn't about something I did or didn't do or something I was or wasn't. I lived and operated under God's totally undeserved, unconditional love, and that was grace. And from there, I experienced a slow but deep healing. You know, it wasn't this huge spiritual encounter where I was filled with the Spirit and fell over, and those moments are great too, but no, this was more like a, a very gradual but very real process of God by His grace entering in and slowly but surely replacing the lies that had woven themselves around my heart. God was rewriting the narrative. He was rewriting the story that I'd told myself about who I was. And I wonder this morning if, for some of you, grace has been missing from your narrative. Have you subconsciously let yourself believe that it's about who you are or what you do, that unconditional favor doesn't exist for you? Well, it does. His grace is for all. A short time later, I came across Isaiah 61, which is a really well-known passage. You're probably familiar with the words, and I know Dave mentioned it in his sermon last week, but I'd love to read verses one to three, if that's okay. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, I've since seen this passage as more about one that's like a cry for justice in the world or a call for us to bind up the brokenhearted in Jesus' name. But when I read it on that day, at least for what was the first time in my memory, I only read it as being about me. I was the brokenhearted. Jesus had bound up me. He had proclaimed my freedom from the enemy. He had set me free from my prison. And he had replaced my spirit of despair that had hung over me like a cloud for a year and a half with a garment of praise. That was grace. I wasn't just forgiven and sent on my way, waiting for eternal life in heaven like I'd been taught in Sunday school. No, Jesus himself had leant right into my spirit and poured an oil of joy upon it. And he had bound me back up so I was whole and full and worthy of displaying his splendor. John 1.16 talks about how out of Christ's fullness we have grace in place of grace or grace on grace. Well, this is kind of what that felt like, grace on grace. And it was so beautiful and so foundational for me in my walk with Jesus at that time. Now, fast forward a few years. Um, I went to uni in Southampton and met my husband, Scott, there. And at that time, um, yeah, I went to quite a charismatic church at that time and experienced a lot more of like the work of the Holy Spirit in ways that I hadn't before and experienced people worshipping with flags and interpretive dance and all the things that were really missing from my traditional church upbringing. Definitely wasn't in Dagana anymore. Um, but yeah, but to bring you to another event of grace in my life, uh, we don't have to go back too far actually. Just a couple of years, in fact, um, not long before I walked through the doors of this church. Before our son George was born, uh, Scott and I had gone through a series of really quite tough experiences in our life, and that included us leaving our last church community where we'd been really heavily involved. Um, and through that time, I was leaning into God for support and comfort, but also really pressing into prayer um, on a number of things. And for the first time, really asking God some big questions in the process. And maybe some of you have found yourselves in that place where you kind of start to dismantle everything you once held dear in your faith and you start to ask some of the bigger questions that you haven't before. So that's where I was at when George was born and within a few minutes of that, as many of you know, we got his diagnosis of Down syndrome and there were questions over the health of a few of his vital organs. And it, it just sort of felt like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I just sort of shut down in a way and I put up a wall and I very deliberately distanced myself from God. 
I know that Scott has shared a little bit about this chapter in our lives from the front here before, so I hope that it's okay that I do again from my perspective, um, not to repeat. And it is an important caveat to say that now there is not a strand of DNA in George's body that we would change. We love absolutely everything about him. Important to note that it was just at that time, like in that moment, having a child with Down syndrome just wasn't in my plan. And I was so angry and I was so hurt and confused, and it felt like it was all because of God. The only person I could blame was God. He was the only one who could have been responsible for something like this. I'd spent months during my pregnancy praying over my bump and praying over George's health and so many things. And in the early days of his diagnosis, it felt like God had not only not answered those prayers, but that he'd like slapped me in the face and given me a thousand other things to worry about. And he'd also given me a new identity, the parent of a child with a disability. And at the time, I just, I just didn't want that. So over the months that followed, I was silent with God. I didn't want to hear from him, so I just didn't give him an opportunity to speak. It's actually quite childish when I look back on it now. But in his grace, he didn't speak to me either. He gave me my space, and that's what I needed. How beautiful is that? That the God who created me, all of us, for love and communion, gave me space. When I did start praying again, when I was out for a walk or when I had a quiet moment in between baby feeds, I found it hard to know how to approach God again when I had so much anger simmering at him beneath the surface. But eventually one day I felt able to revisit a worship playlist that I'd listened to a lot when I was pregnant and um, while I'd been going through some of those prayer times with God before and the songs, you know, they had lyrics that were full of faith and God's goodness. And I just found it so hard to listen to them. Like, I just felt like the songs just did not represent anything that I believed about Jesus at that time. It was just so hard to hear. And so I started crying and crying. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just saw this picture of Jesus he was standing in front of me um, in what looked like a storm, much like the storm that I felt like I was experiencing in my spirit. And there was rain and there was thunder and wind and lightning. And he started yelling at me over the noise of the wind. And he was saying to lay it all on him. All of my emotions, all of my pain, he could take it all. And he stood there with his arms out wide, beckoning me to give him my worst. He could take it. And I did. <laughs> I yelled, and I yelled, and I sobbed, and I told Jesus everything that I was angry at him for, all the ways I felt failed, all the ways I felt let down and abandoned. And it wasn't even just about George's diagnosis, it was so much stuff from before, I just let it all out. Um, and I let it all out until there was nothing left. And I can't tell you the relief. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it really was relief. And that set me, again, similar to when I was younger, it set me on a course of very gradual, slow healing. 
and really what's starting to sort of transpire into a whole new chapter in my faith. So maybe some of that is a story for another day. But what I want to focus on most here is Jesus in that picture. He appeared right in the middle of the storm, right when I felt like I was ready for him. And he stood there with his arms opened wide, inviting my worst attack. Who is this God? Who is this God that he would welcome my biggest criticisms and unfiltered aggression? That he would stand there and listen to my complaints in my bitterness and confusion and unruliness? That is undeserved favor. That is beautiful embodied grace. Verses, uh, Hebrews 4 verses 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is able to empathize with us. He's able to feel our pain because he's felt it too. I'm reminded of when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Jesus leaves his disciples to keep watch and then he goes off to pray. And Matthew says that he became sorrowful and troubled, knowing that his arrest and death were imminent. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He asks God to take this cup away, desperate for God to change his circumstances. But he surrenders again to God's will and says, yet not my will, but yours. But from that passage, it's, it's clear that, he's, that Jesus is in turmoil. He's aching and in pain. And when we're in pain, he who dwells within us is right there with us in that pain. He feels our anguish. And through his death and resurrection, praise God, through his redeeming love, we have grace to survive it, to overcome it, and even to glorify him through it. Now, I know I've been talking a bit there about suffering and my suffering in particular, and I just want to make it clear that's not fully what this talk is about. It's about Jesus' posture in my suffering. He was there with me right in the middle of it, arms outstretched, ready to share it all with me. And it's the same for you, for all of us. We can be confident that he is there in the midst of it all. And as Hebrews 4 says, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we'll find grace when we need it most. So have confidence. Have confidence that grace will come right when you need it most. That beautiful, undeserved favor will come. I want to finish this morning by acknowledging that this is not the end of my education of God's grace. I know there is much more of it to experience in my life. But I hope that by sharing what I have today that there's something for you to take away from this. Um, and as a band comes back up and starts to play, maybe you could ask yourself this. 
Has grace been missing from your narrative? Do you need to know this morning that nothing you do can make God love you more and nothing you do can make him love you less? He loves you with unconditional, reckless love. He has undeserved favor for you and nothing can ever take that away from you. Or maybe you need to know that God's grace is one that will meet you in your time of need. If you're going through something this morning that is painful, if you're in anguish, Jesus' arms are outstretched and he's waiting for you to share it all with him, to open your heart and to just lay it all on him. And more than that, he's experiencing it with you. So approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I'm going to pray to finish and maybe you'd like to stand with me while I do that and we will go into a time of worship now as well and during our worship time as we always do um, the table here will be open if we have a few helpers for communion they can make their way up now. <laughs> um, but yeah just to encourage you this morning that I was really struck that there's no bigger representation of God's grace than this table behind me. There's no bigger representation of that outflowing of that beautiful undeserved favor than what this table represents. Communion, communion with Jesus. Yeah, so I'm just going to pray and please feel free afterwards as we worship to come forward and to take the bread and dip it in the juice and there's nothing that qualifies you to come um, or not come just as long as you want to. Um, please feel free to come forward and just experience that beautiful, undeserved favor that is represented in this practice. So, Father God, we could spend days and years talking about your grace. Thank you that your grace has no bounds, no limits or conditions. Right now, God, I pray, would we be filled with a sense of your great love for us? your endless mercy, your goodness. And as we come to the table, God, would we know what it is to receive your perfect, undeserved favor, your sweet, sweet grace. In Jesus' name.